Welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is Adventure Editor Crafty and Deputy Editor News Editor, Deputy News Editor Justin. Good this morning. Week, we're looking at a tough Chinese truck that might just have what it takes to make the usual ute suspects think twice. We'll look at some fresh metal in the Cars Guide garage this week, and we'll catch up with the world's most bored billionaire in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. But we've had some feedback. And last week, we were talking about Fords that are coming, Fords that we'd like to see come to Australia. And that was across the the Baby Ranger, better known as the Maverick. Um, Some detail on the next Ranger, but most of all on the Bronco. And that's where the majority of feedback has come. And, you know, Andre Voyeur is pretty typical. He says yes for Bronco. Um, and Kodiak 7 says Bronco not coming to Australia is a crime. I'm not sure where the rules are written, but it's a crime. And it's also short-sighted, given that Aussies will be spending more time at home over the next few years. These are the kind of cars we need. And Senior Bob agrees 100%. And in fact, David Birdie Burt came in and said almost the same thing. It will be some time before Australians recommence international travel and perhaps even longer before we see mass international tourism. Um, in Australia, I reckon car makers should take advantage of Australia's ISO period and provide some additional tour options, such as the Bronco. So um, that all makes sense. It would be a fantastic uh, touring car, I would have thought, but the five-door version anyway, on some, um, you know, not necessarily off-road, but all-terrain or, you know, some reasonable tyres, I reckon it be a fantastic yeah, tour. It'll be lots of fun too, lots of fun. Absolutely. Um, and Jim Danick says... Let me do a Richard Berry. You heard it here first. Bronco will come to Australia within two years. Uh, the only reason it's not coming now is expectations of initial demand in left-hand drive markets. Um, being on the Ranger T6 platform, I wouldn't think there are technical reasons it can't come here. And that, that seems a, a fair enough assumption. But TGV, the very fast train, chimed in and said, uh, well, from what production facility, though? Because... Um, mm you'd have to find somewhere that's ready to produce right-hand drive or you have to tune up the factory that's producing left-hand drive to be able to do that. And yeah. that's not beyond the, the bounds of possibility, but it not is a pretty, a pretty tall thing to do yeah. um, at the best of time. So I thought that was an interesting comment. Um, and Hammer Rocks, Hammer. fingers crossed for right-hand drive Bronco. It's practically Australian. Sure, it's born in the USA, but it was conceived down under. Funny mm. how no American source motoring journalist has ever mentioned the fact in of any of their reviews. Um, mm. Even the interview with the Bronco designer didn't mention anything about its engineering was done by Ford Australia. So there you yeah. go, a little bit of parochial, parochial whinging from the hammer. Yeah. Um, and 88MTB88 says... Yes, Bronco will be a hit, even the Bronco Sport, which is, you know, the, the baby yeah. version, yeah, yeah, yeah. which will be a rugged, smallish SUV. And TGV chimed in again and said that he thought Bronco Sport will work for our market. He, he sees it as a good candidate, you know, that we did have the last generation Escape, which sold in decent numbers, but he doesn't think a Maverick-type ute is the go um, for Australia, doesn't, doesn't see it as a market. And I suppose he's right. It feels like buttes are getting bigger um, rather yes. than smaller. But but as we said, maybe that that push up to the bigger ones leaves a little niche down here for for something mm. of a of a compact size. You never know. Um, senior Bob, forget focus based Ute. 
will flop in Australia. Right-hand drive Bronco, please, for Australia. I'd buy one and all caps, everyone I know with 4x4 wants one. Even the Toyota and, <laughs> even the Toyota and Nissan blokes and the uh, Triton and D-Max fanboys, etc. Um, they're they're Uber, cool. uber cool. Petrol, please. I'm sick and tired of diesel 4x4 with low kilometre expensive service intervals and many sensors and other crap to make them go once the kilometres mount up. Petrol 4x4, all caps, please, exclamation mark. He does a lot so, of shouting, that place. He's, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's senior Bob and he's got a lot of rage. He's got a lot of rage yes. built up there about diesel 4x4s. If only um, there was all this enthusiasm about Broncos, the uh, NRL team, because they're going... <laughs> They're having a pretty ordinary season, aren't they? They're having a tough trot of it, uh, pardon the pun. But, uh, yes, <laughs> they, they really are. Um, TGV finished off the, the Bronco chat by saying, shame the rear suspension is not a Watts Link coil spring setup. And that's, as I understand it, as per Ranger um, has that, that setup, the T6. And instead, now the far inferior pan hard rod coil springs. Um, I'm guessing the American could not figure out what a Watts Link is, so they opted for something from a 1971 HQ Kingswood instead. <laughs> it's not bad, not bad. Um, and also he says, by the way, to the Kiwi fella that said the Navara can't accept V-based engines, and actually that was Roto Ihu, our, one of our Kiwi mates, um, says the current D23 NP300 Navara can easily accept a V-configuration engine. You only need to look at the Mercedes X-Class. Um, for confirmation. Um, so a 5.6 litre V6, and he makes the point that it's a wide angle uh, 60 degree V engine, will easily fit in the Navara engine bay. Come on, Prem car, make it happen. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> well, those, so, if anyone can, those blokes can. <laughs> they can do anything. Yeah, precisely. Absolutely. And, those blokes. and that leads to one um, interesting, I thought, particularly interesting comment on the Navara V8. The week prior, we'd been talking about the potential for a Nismo V8 Navara, um, a speculative Andrew Chesterton story. And MR said V8 Ute is already a thing. And he noted the Harrop Super Superado. Um, and that was putting the LSA V8 in a Colorado. He says, fine idea, probably nice to drive. I'm comfortable with the diesel model pushing 500 Newton metres, but they do lack the ponies. And, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of horsepower, that Superado, 396 kilowatts. Uh, 825 newton meters at the hubs um so that's that's a lot of mumbo that's, that's pretty good decent. and he thinks good opportunities for all the major manufacturers so i think that the outtake was people 100 percent want to have a bronco here um mm -hmm. if even half the people that claim to to be in the market to buy one actually did it would do pretty well um and there also seems to be some positive sentiment around a petrol v8 dual cab U. So that's, that's coming in. And in general terms, Dylan Stevens said, will Amarok update the technology and safety before the new cooperative model with Ford? And I think we spoke yesterday, Justin, and, and your mm. mail was that that's, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I think uh, additional airbags, particularly for the rear, uh, yeah. autonomous emergency braking and all the other safety gear that the Amarok currently lacks, it's, it's not going to get added to that platform uh, before it finishes up. So, you know, I would be very surprised, actually, if, if that Volkswagen update the Amarok at all before well, at all. the end yeah. of it, if it's a life. Um, but, yeah, that Ranger-based model, obviously, will bring all of those things in. So, um, yeah, we'll Certainly have to wait a little so. while yet. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, Ranger's already got... T6 Rangers already got those things, so yeah, you can only yeah. assume it's going to build upon it, and Naturally, therefore the Amarok yeah. will get all that stuff. So 
Fingers crossed. Very good. That's something people have been screaming out for. Oh, my God. For so long, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's ludicrous. It's a long time coming. You were sometimes in the corner of the office there, Crafty, just, you know, screaming yeah. to yourself about Amarok. Cry, and crying to myself in, airbags in a dark and corner, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. <laughs> well, something about airbags, yeah. Yep. The, feed, the feedback finished off with a bit of a love fest in that Car Talk said, I love your reviews. David Adler. I think it was specifically, <laughs> specifically yeah. about you, Crafty. Yeah. Absolutely right. <laughs> David, David Adler said, what a great podcast. Fantastic yeah. job, everyone. Looking yeah. forward to the next one. So I are. suppose with the cast we've got this week, we can only let David down. You know, we'll it was such a, as a high point last week. Um, and <laughs> Gulam Dustgear gave us no less than fourteen thumbs up emojis. Wow. So yeah, he's tapping that keyboard fourteen times with the thumbs up emoji. So that's very one much uh, appreciated, Gulam. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you very much, Gulam. But we're going to move on to our main topic of conversation. And I suppose the broader subject is the emergence of Chinese utes, pickups, call them what you will, um, some of which, of course, are already present in the Australian market and subsequent generations of those vehicles are in development. And we've had a hint um, just recently of what's to come. Um, another Chesto news story, uh, Justin, talking about what we in Australia call LDV, but in the Chinese market is Maxus, and it's a concept truck. Could you could you give us a thumbnail overview of, of what we're looking at for those on YouTube? Yeah, absolutely. Um, with the pandemic, obviously, motor shows worldwide are pretty much no more uh, in 2020, except in China. Uh, so this week saw the Chengdu uh, motor show go down, and I guess the headline act, certainly from an Australian perspective, was the debut of the Maxus pickup concept. Um, so that hasn't been given a model name per se, but if you do look at it a little closer, you'll note some uh, key similarities with what we call the LDV T60. But um, the big difference here, of course, is it's a significant change in design language, particularly from the front end. So what we're thinking is this is previewing a major facelift for the LDV T60. And you kind of see that real US influence particularly from the front end, which our YouTube viewers will be able to see now. It's got that really strong front end, lots of presence, one of those cars that you'd see in your rearview mirror and uh, probably move to the side. Or, a, or like a, a diesel loco. It looks like a, yeah. a locomotive yeah. coming at you. It should be on tracks. <laughs> oh, big, my God, that big, yeah. That big grill. Yep. Yeah, yeah. it's huge, absolutely massive. But then it's also got these tiny little LED headlights as well so it really emphasizes the size of that grill and um you know deep intakes on the side it's quite a imposing looking thing i would say um and then you know big flared wheel arches and all-terrain tires on it as well again this is just a concept it's not a production car so it will certainly influence what uh, ends up getting released officially but um yeah it's, a, it's definitely a tasty preview of what's to come next and Justin, you were saying uh, earlier off air that when you do look at the profile, there, it, it, it points to it being almost a facelift as opposed to an all-new ground-up yeah. kind of design, yeah? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it definitely presented initially as being kind of a, an all-new model and perhaps a replacement for the LDV T60 in Australia. But yeah, the more you look at the finer details, particularly from the side, comparing the current T60 to this concept, it's it's clear that 
you know, this is very much previewing a, a facelift, you know, doors are exactly the same. The tub is pretty much unchanged apart from, you know, different tail lights and a, a slightly different uh, bumper treatment. But I guess the major thing externally is the, is the front fascia uh, changes. Yep. But then yep. also if you step inside, it's completely different to uh, what we've come to expect with the T60. You've got these massive screens, kind of Mercedes-Benz style, sitting side by side as one of the one kind of glass yeah, panel, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it certainly has that kind of luxurious lifestyle bent. Um, but again, obviously, there'll be different variations and Because they've tarted, tarted it up a bit from the side, haven't they? The sports bar and a bit of the body yeah. work kind of moves up to integrate that into the whole profile of the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got a few additions on the side beyond the uh, the flared wheel arches, but you know, at its core, it very much is what we know to be the T60, but um, the next evolution of it. And and crafty, you had some mail in terms of what resides under the bonnet that there there may be some improvements there. Well, they're talking about um, another two liter. There's a two liter in the. Mm. I was most recently in the Trail Rider Two, yeah, uh, which was a two liter. But they're talking about this being a twin turbo diesel uh, and producing uh, 162 kilowatts and I think it was 480 newton metres. Okay. Um, the trail rider as it is now is 110 kilowatts and 360 newton metres. So, right, you, right, right, so, right. so you're getting a little bit more there underfoot. Yep. <clears throat> and, and also in practical terms, just talking about its looks and those sort of things, it seems to uh, be slightly raised. Like to mm. me, this thing looks like you'd look at a Hilux and then you'd look at a Hilux Rugged or a mm. Rugged X or something like that. It, it seems to be whether whether this concept will play out as an actual vehicle, uh, I'm not too sure. But it's got another good thing in practical terms is it supposedly has rated recovery points. And those things uh, usually only go on something that the vehicle manufacturer is aiming to be considered a you know at least a, a semi-serious off-roader yeah okay so, and, and would, yeah, would that, that looks kind, pretty cool would that kind of thing point crafty in concert with the extra uh power and torque to a tow rating um upgrade possibly you know if they've if they've done something suspension wise or or would that likely stay the same oh i think it'd probably stay the same same yeah yeah and and do, do you think oh, is it too early to call this if it, if it does come to life anything um, close to the way we're looking at with the concept, a bit of a turning point is if you were Toyota and Ford with Hilux and Ranger, would you be looking over your shoulder or still thinking they're a way off? That, what's the mail that, that you've got in terms of where the Chinese brands stand on that score? Well, the I think as the, Sorry, as the facelifts and what have you come through, even facelifts, not model changes, the Chinese brands are, are really stepping it up. I mean, we can look at what MG's recently done with some of its facelifts, uh, like the ZS small yeah. SUV versus the original ZS is, is such a huge step up for a facelift. And LZV T60 looks like it's probably going to go the same way. And, um, you know, to Crafty's point, potentially this concept is, is previewing a, a new version of the T60 that's kind of more lifestyle, off-road focused perhaps, um, and then there'll be other versions as well. So yep. it certainly seems like LDV is going to have a more comprehensive lineup and, and offering. So, yeah, potentially definitely a turning point. And Ford and Toyota might start taking LDV a bit more seriously if it's going to come to market with uh, something a bit more uh, competitive, I guess. Hmm. They're, uh, and JC, they're improving all the time. I mean, as is the natural order of things, they're improving all the time. Uh, for yep. me, 
um, especially we're all the- we're all trying to improve all the time. By the way, <laughs> crafty, it's well, it's an am- ambition of mine. <laughs> Sadly, you don't, though, mate. So. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. Yep, you've you've popped that balloon. That's true. <laughs> but to but to my mind, having recently been in a trail rider too, it's just a little bit too overpriced for what it is and, and okay. for what it achieves at the moment. It's yep. almost there, but but that's a realm uh, in which the Triton sits as well. And to me, the Triton makes a much more sensible buying proposition, uh, just all round in terms, yep. you know, of, of of general everything. But but they're getting they're getting better. Um, but yeah, just a little bit too overpriced for me at the moment. But um, yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens with this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Well, it'd be great to get people's feedback um, in our audience, listening or viewing, and see where they stand with regard to a car like the one that we've just put on screen for YouTube viewers. But uh, are those Chinese brands in your gun sights or or, uh, still a little way off for consideration? It'd be be great to know. But uh, I think we'll now shift to our garage um, where we have been driving, two of us anyway, very similar cars. Crafty's been in something quite different, but Justin, I'll kick it off with you. Tell us uh, what you've been steering during the week. Yeah, just the past week I've spent reviewing the Lexus RC 350F Sport, uh, which prior to getting in, it's been a little while since I've driven an RC, and um, thinking about it, it's kind of a forgettable car. You almost forget that it's still on sale. (laughs) That's also a factor factor of your memory, Justin, and I I think that's been failing for some time. Yeah. Uh, well, then I obviously tried to back it up by looking at the, the sales data, and it turns out it's the fifth best-selling model in its segment. So clearly there are right you know, a few people out there buying it. Yeah, Justin, um, before you get going, yeah. is, that, is that a quote they're going to use in the advertising campaign? Oh, so I think so. Kind of I'll pinch it from the review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Oh, good stuff. Anyway, <laughs> to when the, you to pick the, it up, to actually. the tune of Nat, Nat King Cole's "Unforgettable," uh, yeah. Sorry, I've got the whole campaign. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, but when you do pick it up and actually see it, it, it's it's hard to think that it is forgettable because it's so striking on the road. I mean, most Lexuses, in terms of exterior design, you know, really can't be missed. Whether you love it or hate it, it's it's definitely something you won't forget. Um, and I think the RC personally is, is quite a good looking car. Um, and uh yeah but i just seem to not ever see them on the road but uh, anyway so yeah the 350 has the uh, v6 naturally aspirated three and a half liter um and you know it's, it's a nice engine uh but you really need to get it out on the open road to try and experience it um you know it's obviously being naturally aspirated you need to build up the revs and uh if right. you want to move quickly i suppose um but around yeah. town it's actually quite comfortable too um despite the fact that it's a it's an f sport and therefore it has you know sport suspension and all that it's it's still a pretty compliant and comfortable car around town yeah um, doesn't like potholes but most cars don't um so yeah in terms of uh it's not a sports car i guess was my main takeaway uh, despite the fact it's classified as such it's it's definitely a, a comfortable cruiser um, yep. And if you do it as such, you can forgive it for some of its shortcomings, such as the fact uh, that, uh, well, frankly, the rear seats are completely useless. Um, you know, it's, it's not at all practical. So I guess in that case, maybe this is a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> By default. But, uh, you know, they are token rear seats. So as an adult in the back, I can't help but be in with my, uh, you know, chin buried in my chest. So, right. Um, 
Mate, you're about eight foot tall though, aren't you? So that's yeah, that's the thing. It's the problem of being eight foot tall. Uh, um, yeah. But all, those, uh, yeah, all those basketballers love Alexis. I know Justin's. <laughs> they do. Yeah, yeah. They definitely do. But you look overall, it's it's definitely a good car, and I'd, I'd say it's probably underrated, if anything. But and um, just to put you on the on the spot, Justin, where are we at price wise with that car, roughly? Yeah. No, absolutely. So the one I was uh, testing uh, kicks off around seventy-seven grand, which makes it three grand more expensive than the RC three hundred F Sport, which I think someone else here drove uh, recently. Yep. Uh, yep. So you know, it's it's a little bit more expensive than the turbo four-cylinder. Um, I personally, and I know you're about to weigh in on this, JC. I'd say the <laughs> the three hundred is probably the better choice of the two, just to save that extra money. Um, but uh, yeah, 77 grand. And the good thing about it, and I suppose the strong point of the RC is compared to its competitors, it is ridiculously good when it comes to value for money. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. if you compare it to a, a C300 Mercedes-Benz, it's, it's 12 grand cheaper and comes loaded with kit that yeah. you don't get in the Merc. So, you yeah. know, if you're someone that thinks with your head, you're going to walk away and say, yeah, I'm buying the RC. I'm getting some bang for your buck there. Yes. If, you, if you're not... Uh, if you haven't been imprinted with a certain brand loyalty, um, yeah. lo logic would say that's a pretty good option. Yeah, 100%. You'd be walking yeah. away buying one of those every day of the week. Well, look, you're 100% right. I've been in a, a car that's markedly different from yours. It's an RC300 F Sport. And it's, so it, you're right, it's about 75 and a half before you put it on the road. And it's the two litre turbo petrol. And I, like you, I think it is very striking. Uh, friends of mine saw it through the week and I was kind of taken aback by their response. It was as if they'd seen a Ferrari, you know, or a Lambo with its scissor doors up or whatever. They were just all circling around it like it was something from another planet. Um, but the thing to remember is it's a rear-wheel drive car. So I suppose the sports car thing, it does stand up in that regard. It does have that rear-wheel drive feel. The two-litre four-cylinder turbo, 180 kilowatts, 250 newton metres, not enormous numbers, but that torque peak is available from 1650 RPM. So you do mm. get that more urgent uh, kind of pulling power uh, early early on and through the mid-range. But it still weighs about 1.7 tonnes. So it's it's not yeah. a lightweight. It's got a fair amount of weight to, to haul around. But in the in the plus column I had that it is impossibly smooth, it's, it's also beautifully built um and quiet and comfortable um except for those potholes and the value i had value written down and the audio system the base audio system is terrific you know that's yeah. a real lexus um forte the the not so good i had the remote touch interface which is just a oh, constant gosh. a constant bugbear which is horrible it's yeah. it's hateful it should be outlawed by the un or something like that as a crime <laughs> against humanity um, and it just, lacks, it just lacks a bit of guts. And it, it's not yes. really an, an engaging car to drive. It's not for no. drivers. I think it's for people who like the look of the car and they enjoy mm -hmm. the style of a coupe body with a bit of difference to it. But it, it is by no stretch an engaging driver's car. It's very much a comfortable way to get where you're going um, is, that, is the way I'd sum it up. And that's perfectly valid. It's, it's just a little different to some others in the, in the segment. That being said, with the RC, one of the new unique things about it, and I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's true of the 300 as well as the 350, is uh, a rear axle steering. Oh, it, okay. Uh, definitely yep. changes your perception of the car, and I'd actually say it's probably one of the better right. versions of uh, rear axle steering in, in, do, in does, modern cars. 
does the front axle steer as well, or is it just from the rear? No, it's like, you know, purely a, like a, a forklift. So the front axle is <laughs> it doesn't even come with front tires, actually. Okay. Uh, that's right. That's right. It's a, right. a two wheeler. Uh, but yeah, no. At low speed, the rear tires turn in the opposite direction to the front, and then uh, high speed they turn in the same direction. Yeah. So yeah. it's all yeah. about high speed stability and low speed maneuverability, and you can tell the difference the second you get in, like in a in a car park. Maneuvering it around, it's very direct and very yeah. quick to do what it needs to do. And the turning circle as well is pretty tight. Um, yeah. Considering, again, in the 350s case, it nearly weighs, uh, you know, 1.8 tonnes. So, yeah. again, a light car. So, that's uh, it's an interesting, interesting feature. Cool, cool. Now, Crafty, speaking of luxury, you've been in mm. the premium end of a, a very strong and old favourite. Tell, tell us about your experiences lately. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to relish the moment where I've driven something more expensive than you blokes. So, yeah, good, uh, good, good, good. Let me just cherish the moment. Uh, I was in, uh, I was in a 200 Toyota Land Cruiser 200 Series Sahara. So that's right. almost 125 grand uh, grand's worth of um, of Land Cruiser. Uh, unreal. I really enjoy driving the thing. I've driven it. And the Patrol, which I consider those two really close in terms of everything. Um, it's starting to feel a bit old, starting to feel a bit dated, uh, well and truly ready for either the 200 series facelift, which we've teased recently uh, arriving here, or the 300 um, series. So, But the problem is, especially with people who love a big V8, big V8 turbo diesel, uh, is the fact that the... 300 series is tipped to have a smaller engine. So mm. V6 petrol or diesel or a petrol uh, hybrid option. Hybrid, yep. So, so I guess, and, and, and this was the whole point of my off-road review, is that this might be uh, a Land Cruiser enthusiast's last chance to step into a, um, a big V8. Mm. Uh, it's, it's comfortable. It's capable. We took it on some, some hardcore stuff as usual. Um, there's there's nothing wrong there. There's there's a fair bit of tech and sort of frippery that I don't really consider you need. Oh, gold um, gold star for use of the word frippery there. Frippery, Crafty, well like done. That? Yeah, I like loved that? it. Um, and it doesn't for 125 grand. And I make this point in my review and my video. It just doesn't feel like a prestige space inside. Like uh, I've been in other things that have been uh, considerably cheaper. And, um, and yeah, it just doesn't feel like it's worth that much money. It's all easy to use and it's all well laid out. The build quality is unreal. It's great to drive. Um, you know, again, I love the thing. I've towed with it. I've towed three tons with it, a three-ton van. Um, and it's unreal in all those aspects, but it just feels like not enough for too much money. So, Righto. How, so mu how, much, how much headroom between... It and the LX570 Lexus, roughly. I what, do you, what, what sort of a gap would you be looking at to get up to the uh, Lexus? Not a, not a lot. I can't remember the exact price because I was in a 570 most recently. Um, yeah, that's okay. Uh, we can put that up on the screen for people yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. Mm. I, think, I think it's pretty close. Um, and, and I remember... Alex kicks off at 143, Crafty. Oh, okay, well, oh there, there you go. go. Not well, a lot at all 15. then. 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. if you're in that realm, I mean, 15 is mm. not going to go, not going to be a deal breaker. But I remember the the LX um, being feeling like so much more of a prestige space, okay. a prestige vehicle, and uh, right. yeah. But but again, um, 
it's unreal. 200 series is unreal, but it's well and truly ready. Okay. For, mm. for a slap right. and a tickle in the next round to turn up. So Yeah, and a facelift. That's right. That too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Will, I think it's time on that note to move to Muskwatch. Muskwatch. Now, look, we said last week that the deer leader was bored, and I think it's been um, proved yet again this week. The launches have happened for SpaceX. Tesla's kind of ticking over. I don't know what's happening with the boring company or um, various other pursuits, but he's obviously got a lot of time to get on social media. And NDTV ran a story saying why Elon Musk is tweeting about rumours of an affair with Bill Gates. (laughs) So... This is, this is where we've got to. Um, and the, the backstory is, of course, that Bill Gates has been critical of Elon Musk's views on the corona pandemic, particularly around his scepticism on the numbers, on lockdowns, on the need for them or otherwise. He's been very vocal about that kind of stuff. And also, Bill Gates famously bought a Taycan rather than buying any kind of Tesla. So um, immediately, Elon was uh, well and truly had Bill uh, in the sights as an enemy, thanks to that. So first of all, he goes on Twitter and says, um, and also, by the way, he's currently noted his location on his Twitter handle as Trollheim. So he's, he's living in, in Trollheim. Uh, this is a nearly 50-year-old man. Um, the rumour, he says, the rumour that Bill Gates and I are lovers is completely untrue. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what he's put out there. Uh, and then he's followed that very quickly with, but sometimes when we touch, and there's a <laughs> there's a clip of Dan Hill doing sometimes when we touch. Oh, so uh, viewers yeah. on YouTube will get a little glimpse of that. Yeah. Um, and there's another one, Aditya Singh ran a great picture and said, really? Explain this. And it's the front of the Titanic. You know, you've got the classic <laughs> scene with the arms out, but it's Bill in front. and uh, Elon behind with the the big hug. So that is a bit tricky to explain. Some people have too much spare time, don't they? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, He followed up with another that just said total eclipse of the heart, right? So then cue, of course, a clip of Bonnie Tyler with total eclipse of the heart. And the bearded bard VR then posted a truly disturbing deep fake video of Elon over what looks to be Ariana Grande in a series of fairly um, suggestive poses. Compromising positions. Oh, yeah. And, right? look, I watched it a couple of times before I'm I could sure actually did. break, break sure my gaze away. Oh, it was <laughs> very, very odd that people on YouTube will be able to see that, for better or worse. Um, and then he said, he followed another tweet. He just wouldn't let it go. He says, Billy G, Billy G is not my lover. So, so then you've gone <laughs> down the, the Jacko route. And Stephanie said, thank goodness he's not your lover. It would be awkward at home with Grimes. And I thought that's a very, very good comment, which it would be. But then he Grimes just, being he, his wife. He's, oh, he's a significant other, I think. I'm not sure whether they're married, but uh, okay. there you go. And I just get this picture of him on the couch or in his big winged leather chair in his lair, you know, as a, as a Bond villain, sending out these ridiculously juvenile tweets. Anyway, he followed that with, where are, no, he said, uh, Twitter sucks. 
that's what he said, Twitter sucks. Okay, so that was a provocative statement. Uh-huh. And V said, yeah, Twitter's like, Twitter is like Ricky Gervais said. It's like reading every bathroom wall in America, <laughs> which, is, which is a nice way of summing up Twitter. Um, Lady India just said, then leave. Uh-huh. And um, Stevan said, facts, and wrote a picture of a T-shirt saying, Elon Musk sucks. So Ooh. it's possible to uh, buy that as merch out there. I think that was a custom uh, right. production for that shirt. Uh-huh. And Con said, all right, if Twitter sucks, when the fuck is GTA 6 coming out then? Because <laughs> <laughs> he wants, he wants some, some alternative, <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. And then he got into an, an altogether different kind of stream of thought and just posted the tweet saying, hold my beer with a picture. Now, the beer that he pictured is actually New Belgium Starship IPA. And it has a, a kind of space traveller with a skull instead of a face and some kind of uh, battle helmet on. And that started a whole uh, stream of people coming back at him with beers. And one was Dogfish Head IPA, which was just flat out <laughs> uh, kind of weird. But then Red Mars, uh, Lost in Spice, which right. I thought was a really good, good, good beer. One, yeah. um, and Space Camper Cosmic IPA. So this, this is a, a genre of beer that I was completely unaware of. And also Miles and Miles, which has an astronaut on the can. So this, this whole travelling into space thing happening with beer that Elon has, pardon the pun, tapped into. Mm. But the way we always finish up Muskwatch is with the share price. And I've got to say, for Tesla, it's softening off. So the share price, if you can call it soft, is $1,487. So one share is $1,487. But last week, it was $1,513. So it's it's come off, and the high of the week was $1,541. And in fact, Business Insider Australia is reporting that Bernstein in the US is downgrading Tesla and says the stock will tank 42% from, quote, its mind-boggling valuation. Mm. Um, so someone is saying the emperor has no clothes here. Um, they say, this is Bernstein, says Tesla shares are far too expensive to recommend after more than tripling in 2020. Um, even after the automaker beat earnings and crept closer to being included in the S&P 500, its valuation is mind-boggling. Estimating Tesla stock's near-term trend could be a fool's game. But risks, including slowed profit growth, a delayed product pipeline, are causing them to think this way. So others are are on board. It's stairway to heaven for this stock. But there's someone that's saying, look, I think we need to take a good hard look in the mirror before we recommend that anybody buys this stock. Um, And it has been an exceptional year so far for the Tesla shares. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, with that, I think we have reached the finish line. And I want to say thank you, Justin. Thank you. And thank you, Crafty. Oh, thank you, mate. And thank you, Justin. Thank you, Crafty. <laughs> and thanks to our production commander-in-chief, lead potato scientist and fake mourner, Mr Pritchard, for his nimble finger work on the mouse, dials and sliders. Oh, so nimble. Today, he's in a T-shirt saying, irony, the opposite of wrinkly. Inflatable <laughs> pants, inflatable pants, amazing inflatable pants, yeah. and Nike high tops in cardboard. Nice. Extraordinary, extraordinary yeah. pair of shoes. I'm sure it'll be mugged. Uh, someone will be wearing oh, yeah. those. Yeah. 
Please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple Podcasts listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, a pork pie stops at the Macca's drive-thru, gets to the server's window, only to be told, sorry, we don't serve food here. <laughs> shocking. Uh, oh, sh- shocking. Bad. I'm not going to use that one. <laughs> no, I'm not going to retell that one. <laughs> Oh, my God.